Hello there, everyone. Welcome to the TSG Podcast. Just a huge disclaimer before we begin that all content produced on this channel is for education and entertainment purposes only. Enjoy the episode. All right, everyone. So welcome back to the TSG Podcast. Uh, I'm here with Sean, my co-host, as always. Welcome, Sean. Welcome. Hello. (laughs) <laughs> how's your morning been <laughs> uh, my morning has been pretty good yep yep uh, there's a lot of things that happened this week sean there, there's a lot of things that happened with coinbase with crypto with with everything and i still don't get it i i, I personally still don't get it and so i'm gonna be, i'm gonna Pass the mic on to you, Sean. What are your thoughts on what happened this week? Why is it that everyone is super like emotional uh, with the whole Luna, the Terra, the stablecoin, the Bitcoin, etc.? What what's going on? Um, all right, so there's quite a bit going on. Um, I think as a backdrop, we can start with what's going on in the entire market right now because that does impact uh, okay. Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. So. The market's been going down for a while. Um, mm-hmm. The there's a general downtrend, um, which is related to the Federal Reserve tightening. Mm-hmm. And you know, when the Federal Reserve tightens, that causes you know the stock market and the crypto market generally to go down because there's not as much easy money flowing into those. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the cheap prices that now there's I'll be talking about a one particular hypothesis of what happened in the crypto market. Mm. Um, but it's not, there's some different ways to interpret it. So the most popular interpretation is that the low prices created an opportunity for someone to attack a particular project and get them to sell some of their Bitcoin mm. at a rock bottom price. Hmm. So, wait, wait. So, how, how? So, are they attacking the Bitcoin project, or are they attacking another coin project where the person who developed it held on to Bitcoin? They're attacking another project, and oh. so I'll describe how that works. Okay, okay. So, it was a project called uh, Luna. Okay. Um, and they had set up. They had their own cryptocurrency. It was called Luna, and they had set up what they called an algorithmic stable coin. A stable coin is a cryptocurrency that is supposed to be uh, pegged at $1. So, okay. What, what do you mean by peg? Does that mean that for every one coin, that's equivalent to one US dollar? Yes, correct. Okay. okay. And so the way the peg was supposed to work is that um, they connected it to their Luna cryptocurrency. So if the peg were to get too high, then, um, you know, the the UST, which is the name of the stable coin, UST, mm-hmm. if it got above a dollar, then they would allow you to sell it for Luna. And if it got below a dollar, then they would allow you to buy it. Um, Interesting. And- yeah, so it was sort of mechanically supposed to maintain this peg to $1. Mm. Um, 
Now, on top of that, a few months ago, the person who runs uh, this, the guy, he, his name is Do Kwan. Okay. And he, you know, likes drawing attention to himself on Twitter and on the internet. Mm. One of the ways he did that was to say, hey, everybody, I bought a bunch of Bitcoin as backing for my stablecoin. Okay. Um, and this got him, you know, attention. Um, you know, I think a lot of Bitcoiners previously had the idea. I don't know if they had thought how deeply this had been thought through, but the idea was, boy, if I had one of those stable coins, mm-hmm. I would back it with Bitcoin because I think Bitcoin's going to the moon mm-hmm. and therefore I can, you know, take this, take these dollar stable assets by Bitcoin. And then when Bitcoin goes up, I'll just, you know, I can use an even smaller and smaller percentage of my Bitcoin to maintain the, the stable coin or whatever. Okay. Um, that's maybe not the greatest idea, right? Because <laughs> if the Bitcoin goes down, uh, that can cause you some trouble. So, <clears throat> so what happened the other day is the, the dollar peg for the UST started to, started to break. The price of UST starting at a dollar went to 99 cents, 98 cents, 95 cents, down into like 80 cents, 70 something cents. It just totally went down. Wow. Um, Yeah. And presumably that it seems like that could have been some kind of attack. Like maybe someone was shorting it or selling it. Hmm. Um, And, you know, trying to sell harder than the algorithm could, could fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Luna stablecoin, um, you know, would have to the the Luna stablecoin is supposed to compensate, or not the stablecoin, the Luna cryptocurrency mm-hmm. is supposed to compensate. So that began going down as well. Hmm. Before all this started, the Luna coin was much had a much, much higher market cap than mm. the UST stablecoin. Mm. Um, but Luna began, it went down so much that it actually ended up going below the value of the stablecoin, which is bad, right? Because now it doesn't have, there's not enough money in it to to support the stablecoin. Mm. Um, wait, wait, so I, I'm, I'm going to pause really really quickly just because i'm trying to absorb i'm not pausing but i'm 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 absorbing what you're saying so luna is being backed up by bitcoin right now because of do kwan saying that on twitter am i am i correct to say that um i think yeah i think okay either luna or ust or both or both but okay. i think they are they are connected so i think okay. he's, he's sort of in charge of both of them. yeah because I'm, I'm getting kind of lost in the details right now so I, I just want to clarify at least for my own sake because i have no clue what's going on and so if that was the case um uh, how why was luna and this is a question that popped up why was luna so good before all of this happened and right when do Quan said okay well we're gonna peg it against bitcoin against the us dollar then it just started going crazy is it because they produce more bit uh, they produce more luna cryptocurrency or is it just market sentiment where everyone's fully like scared right now there's a lot of fear and everyone just started selling like what 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 was the 
overall catalyst that that's what i'm trying to get what why was luna good before and now it just tanked um there's no clear trigger okay that as far as from a yeah in the news or anything so the the announcement that it was going to be backed by bitcoin that was a while ago okay and uh luna did okay for a while Mm. after that Mm. so um now when the whole the whole market has been going down and then this happened Mm. at a at a fairly low level in the market so you know maybe just market sentiment was involved um or the theory is that it because the prices were low Mm -hmm. that made it ripe for an attack Mm. so the idea was someone pushed down ust and luna in order to make them freak out Mm. and start selling their bitcoin at that Mm. low price so if someone had a lot of capital especially if they had the capital to borrow some of these coins Mm -hmm. um, then they could push them all down get them to sell all that bitcoin and then pay back what they borrowed at a low price and keep the difference okay all right clear <laughs> so yeah I'm trying to... I, I gave too much yeah, yeah. detail in the beginning but i think that was a that was a, a decent summary is that someone tried okay. to push it all down to get them to unload that bitcoin now the the idea that it was all to get them to unload bitcoin that is somewhat speculative okay um in i mean in reality, we could say just looking at the data, looking at the facts, it's just that these uh, coins just went way down. <laughs> and okay. it's not exactly, you know, we can't say for certain why they collapsed, mm. but they, there was a, a collapse and it was it was uh, catastrophic. And you know what? It was kind of expected, honestly. A lot of, for a long time, people have been looking at these stable coins. And, you know, I think there's a saying in economics that, that, uh pegged currencies will come unpegged at some point Mm. it just happens you know even like a when another country says oh we're gonna have our currency and it's gonna equal the dollar Mm -hmm. uh economists look at that and say yeah someday it's it won't someday that's gonna break because whatever Mm -hmm. whatever you're doing you know with your assets to try and make it stay eventually you're gonna run out of those assets or something and and can we also uh connect that same concept with us getting off the gold standard because we pegged the dollar against gold back in the day right and so now we're off of that so is that the same concept or is that something totally different um because it might be it might be related i okay. mean because um, we're talking about peg currency to another currency and so the the thought that comes into my mind again i don't know too much about this this uh concept but the first thing is like oh it's like us back in the 40s 30s 40s where we paid the u.s dollar to gold and you know as the price of gold goes up the u.s dollar buying power goes up or something like that or you know i'm I'm like "Hmm." (laughs) yeah so the thing about that is uh there's an amount of trust involved where if you are holding gold and you're printing these notes that are essentially IOUs, yes, then the people holding the IOUs are going to be looking at you, you know, squinting at you saying, how many of these IOUs are you printing really, right? Are you, yes. are there five times as many as the gold, you know? Yep. And so, um, you know, there was a time when uh, 
before governments were on the gold standard, there was actually free banking where essentially Mm -hmm. banks held gold and printed their own notes Mm -hmm. and people, you had, people were circulating different notes from different banks Mm. and people developed a different level of trust for one bank versus another. And so the banks kind of helped keep each other honest, Mm. you know? Um, But yeah, as you keep printing notes under a gold standard, you will raise suspicion as Mm. more and more notes come out. You know, people will start to question your, uh, the validity of these notes. Mm. So in some sense that can keep it in check where, uh, some governments will see that they might be beginning to lose trust and start to rein it in. Mm. Um, but it is true that you can essentially lose the peg. Like what happened with the United States was back around 1944, 1945, we pegged it. Uh, we pegged the dollar to gold. I believe it was at like $35 per ounce. Mm-hmm. And then eventually we raised it. I think sometimes in the, Sometime in the 50s or 60s, we raised it to like 50-something dollars an ounce. And then in 1971, we just said, never mind. We're not giving you any gold for dollars anymore. Mm. So, yeah, because we just printed too many and we didn't want to give up the gold. So we stopped. Way to go, Nixon. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That, uh, yeah, that was, that was quite a moment in, in the history of money for sure. And, uh, luckily what, what Nixon and Kissinger did is they went to, Saudi Arabia essentially cut a deal that Saudi Arabia would give us oil in exchange for um, treasury bonds and U.S. dollars, mm-hmm. and that way, the they're sort of validating it mm-hmm. by accepting it. Mm-hmm. You know, because now the now it's as a dollar is as good as gold for oil, mm. right? So, um. You know, when we went off the gold standard in 1971, it was like, okay, what's going to validate our currency? Mm-hmm. Once we made that deal with Saudi Arabia, they, they, you know, they give us the oil, they get something that, you know, was lacking validity, mm-hmm. but by taking it, they're giving it validity. And that was able to bootstrap the system, which we call the petrodollar, which is essentially the dollar being backed by oil from the seventies until roughly about now when people are wondering what the dollar is backed by now, because the, that, that petrodollar system is breaking down over the last year or two. And, and we're going to get to a new system and nobody knows exactly what it's going to be at this point. Mm-hmm. And I, if I recall, uh, at least a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about this, but Saudi Arabia is now considering purchasing oil in chinese yuans mm-hmm. right so if we were able to validate our currency on the u.s side to saudi arabia and that's why people are now trading in u.s dollars then having the chinese yuan also getting validated from saudi arabia there's going to be somewhat of a conflict there isn't there yeah hmm. yep yeah there's definitely there's definitely a lot of conflict brewing around this, you know, um, Mm -hmm. when Russia invaded Ukraine, um, they, the United States did sanctions against them and the value of the ruble went down dramatically. Mm -hmm. And then 
uh, Russia came out and said, anyone who wants to buy Russian oil, you have to pay us in rubles. Mm. And the ruble just went right back up and is now even stronger than it was before the war. Really? Yep. What was it at now? I do not know. Let's see. Ruble index? Let me see. Oh, yeah, it did go up. Look at that. The lower the value, the stronger it is, right? Yes. Yes. In so the it, one is, I'm looking it is at. much stronger than a year ago. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if I'm looking at the same one that you are. I found Markets Insider. It's the uh, United States dollar Russian ruble. ruble. So it's USD dash yeah. RUB. Yes. It, uh, so previously, for a good long time, it was hovering around the 70s yes um and then 80s, it blasted 70s. upward at the beginning of the war i think let's look at the timing yeah to 133 yeah. 133 yeah. rubles equals one us or 133 yeah rubles equals one us dollar is yeah. that is that the conversion yeah i think so yeah yeah and then now it's down to 63 rubles to one us dollar yep. so the buying power of the ruble just doubled within a span of since March 7th all the way to now. Mm-hmm. So in a span of what? Two months? March? April? May? Yeah, two months. Holy crap. And it's even stronger than it was a year ago. Wow. I did not know that. Huh. Yeah, I mean, if you um, countries that have hard assets, countries that provide oil yeah. are have a lot of uh, pricing power right now. Yep. Oh my gosh, that's crazy! Yeah, so it will it will be interesting to see where the the monetary system goes. Uh, a lot of people are saying that it's probably going to split into two spheres, mm-hmm. where there will be the the dollar sphere and mm-hmm. another sphere, which could go, you know, that's kind of up in the air. But maybe it will be yuan, or maybe mm-hmm. it would be something else. Oh yeah, that's super interesting! Wow. You know, I'm learning something today. Oh, this is awesome. <laughs> Anyways, so let's go back to the whole crypto Bitcoin thing, because I, I actually had a couple questions about this. Uh, and, I, and I wanted to know your thoughts because I was reading the articles earlier this week and I was like, oh, man, Sean would be a great person to ask right now about this stuff. And so what are your thoughts on Bitcoin going below 27,000? I think it, it it hit below 27,000 like for a short period of time and then went back up this week or correct me if I'm wrong um yeah that sounds about right okay um so as a bitcoin enthusiast how do you feel um (laughs) you know i'm used to the ups and downs of the bitcoin market it's it's pretty normal it's Mm -hmm. to be expected um you know i've held bitcoin through 80 percent drawdowns before okay i think this was something like a 50 something percent drawdown Mm -hmm. from the peak which was like 67 or something. Now it's down to 20. So that's more than, that might be like 60%. Um, But yeah, it has its ups and downs. Right now it's really related to uh, the broader markets. Like I was saying, the Federal Reserve raising rates, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it tightens up the money supply and causes these things to go down. Um, mm. A lot of a lot of people on 
Wall Street, a lot of the big money is really looking at Bitcoin as something like, like a Nasdaq stock. Mm-hmm. There's Bitcoin is heavily correlated to the Nasdaq. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it maybe swings more widely than the Nasdaq, but as far as the ups and downs, it's very correlated because a lot of people just said, you know, I want an allocation to Bitcoin. Don't know how exactly to trade it, but I'll just stick it in the same basket as Nasdaq because it's like a a bet on technology. And hmm. so that's okay. That's their thinking. Hmm. And so this decline, and would you say this is more of like a bear type of behavior, or is this more of a correction type behavior where it's only going to go down so much and then go back up? Um, you know, a lot of people are saying, and I, I tend to think that it will, will either stagnate or keep going down until the fed changes course Hmm. um the federal reserve essentially they're trying to tame inflation Mm -hmm. um you know the market is somewhat overheated and they're trying to calm it down Mm -hmm. and um they they want to tame inflation with the least economic pain they could possibly have. Hmm. Um, and so one of the one of the factors is the issue of economic recession. Mm-hmm. So technically, an economic recession is if we go two quarters in a row mm-hmm. with negative GDP growth. Hmm. So last quarter, um, you know, January to March of this year, we had negative GDP growth. We had negative one point something of GDP okay. growth. Um, projections are saying that this quarter should be positive of GDP growth. And so with the Federal Reserve tightening now, what they want to do, their ultimate goal would be to reduce the GDP growth for this quarter, but not enough to make it negative. Mm. The idea is they would love to get really close to zero Mm. and then begin loosening and that way they could probably come out of it with less inflation, less economic pain. They would technically not have a recession. Mm. And um, I think that's, that's probably the best scenario. Well, someone, well, I heard a podcast where someone was saying they want to kiss zero GDP, right? They want yeah. to just touch it, you know? Well, the, the, the thing that goes in my mind is why would the central banks and the federal reserve why would they start loosening once they begin tightening um if you really want to have a beautiful deleveraging as ray dalio would say a beautiful deleveraging wouldn't you want to slowly you know heat up the pot as the frog is sitting in it uh, so to speak Uh, hopefully that analogy makes sense because you know once you tighten it once you raise the interest rate and the economy is very close to about zero GDP, fine. And we're going to be like, oh, well, we're still in the positive. Just like you said, we're still in the positive. So technically, this is not a recession. And so wouldn't it make more sense just to hold that leash just a little bit longer so that the market gets used to that interest rate and then tighten it once more, one more time once the economy grows again and, and just slowly tighten it? And then so that we we are always maintaining around one or less than 1% GDP. And then when inflation has completely, you know, been mitigated, then loosen it. 
does that kind of make sense or or does that make no sense at all um that does totally make sense okay um there's a couple things about that okay one factor is when there's an economic shock like covid uh-huh then i think you can get sort of a bullwhip effect okay where they have to drastically take action mm-hmm. in one direction in response mm-hmm. to the the disaster mm-hmm. and then um the market sort of swings mm-hmm. and they may have to take dramatic action in the other direction it's a little bit like steering a boat i remember mm-hmm. one time uh i went out uh you know on a fishing boat on the ocean and uh they let me drive you know i was a kid i was i don't know maybe a teenager <laughs> and um they said you know try try turning over in that direction so i turned the wheel and i mean it took like 30 seconds for the boat to actually start turning wow. after i turned in the wheel and i had turned it too hard so i began correcting and so like 30 seconds later the boat you know overcorrected in the other direction and they had to basically take over because you know if i had kept doing that i mean i could you know maybe tip the boat over i mean because you it just keeps getting more extreme right you're you're correct and then it's like because you're not getting the immediate feedback right Mm -hmm. now of course if an experienced boat driver might turn the wheel just a little bit you know just a little bit more and just wait and never make these big corrections but Mm -hmm. in the case of the federal reserve uh sometimes they have to take big action like with COVID. And so I think that caused them to start swinging the steering wheel on the boat in two directions. And now they're trying to sort of calm it back down. Hmm. Now there's another factor, um, probably an even bigger factor. Um, and this is sort of just my hypothesis. Okay. But I think America is pretty much past the point of a beautiful deleveraging Mm. um and this is because of our national debt so when the fed does what they're doing now Mm -hmm. tightening monetary policy that increases interest rates Mm -hmm. and that includes the interest rates that the federal government has to pay on the national debt Mm. and I think um, I saw an estimate that if bond yields go up 1% and stay there for a year, uh, that means that the federal government has to pay an additional three or $400 billion in interest just for that year for the wow. 1% increase. So, you know, if it goes up two or 3%, you know, I mean, that's, that's catastrophic. That's turning into a trillion dollars of just interest. Wow. Yeah. So um, if the national debt was much lower than raising interest rates uh, would make a lot more sense. You could cool off the economy and you could have a beautiful deleveraging, right? Mm -hmm. Deleveraging is, you know, people paying off their debts essentially and raising interest rates and, and cooling off the economy drives people to pay off their debts. When the economy is running hot, people accumulate debt. And we've been accumulating debt so much that essentially it's almost like a runaway process. Now, if we can't 
um, you know, because we're constrained by the national debt, we can't stop this train anymore. Hmm. Um, so the Federal Reserve is, I think now they're just trying to have the runaway train accelerate less quickly mm-hmm. and maybe buy us more time. Hmm. Um, and, but long term, I don't think it looks good. I think we're going to have uh, sustained inflation for possibly the next decade. Um, so, yeah, so and I don't know exactly how that looks. So, sustained inflation, sorry. Can, can you go a little bit more on what you mean by that? Um, yeah. So, so when the Fed has loose monetary policy, when the Fed keeps interest rates low, um, that has them printing more money and it has people taking on more credit, which causes prices to go up. Yes. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. And so their target inflation is two to 4%. Mm. Um, and lately what we've been seeing is, well, their target is really 2%. Um, you know, there's some economists that have argued for them to go as high as 4%, but generally they really don't want to go over three. Mm. Um, the level of inflation we've been seeing lately is around 8% just for the last couple of months. Wow. Yeah. So if you compare prices to what they were a year ago, they're 8% higher. Yeah. Gas prices. They're, they're killer now. Yeah. Yeah. It's gas prices. It's the price of cars, price of definitely houses. I mean, houses are probably doing more like 15% a year. Um, So yeah, prices are going up and people are feeling the pain and the fed is trying to get that down for the time being. Mm -hmm. But I personally think that, over the next few years, they're not going to be able to get it to where they want it, which is like below 3%. Hmm. I think it's it's going to stay, I don't know, probably above 4 or 5%. I mean, I don't, I don't want to have exact targets, but I think it will be, it's, it's getting increasingly difficult hmm. to tame okay. inflation. Fair enough. Fair enough. Because I, I'm, I'm not an economist, right? I'm a, I'm a biologist and I'm just looking at this and it's, it's getting to the point where I'm still trying to understand everything that's going on right now. It's really, really interesting to see how the system works. And it's really interesting to see how we are reacting, uh, at least on a uh, population uh, standpoint, how we're reacting to these changes. And it, it's, um, we went over this in, in one of my courses that I was teaching, and we were talking about the plasticity of organisms and their phenotype, which is their physical traits. And so if I was to relate this to what's going on right now, I'm trying to, I'm actually trying to see the plasticity of our economy towards these different changes in the environment. And uh, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if we're extremely adaptable to, to these changes or if it's going to snap uh, very soon, so to speak. So, but those are just my thoughts as a biologist looking into this stuff. And it's really, really interesting to see. So there's one more question that I had 
Sean. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is a more of a value investor's question, uh, just because that's my philosophy when it comes to investments in general. And so my thoughts right now is that Bitcoin went down to below 27,000 earlier this week. It kind of went up and it kind of went down. It, it's, it's fluctuating right now. Mm -hmm. As a value investor, if I'm heavily invested in a company and I know my research, I'm very confident in my research and I feel and I have high confidence that it will go up later in the future. When the pricing goes down, I see this as a great opportunity, a great pricing point uh, for me to put a little bit more money on the table, so to speak. And so my question for you as a value investor to a uh, Bitcoin investor is, do you see Bitcoin right now going down in pricing as an opportunity to purchase more? Or is this still too high of a price and you're kind of like, mm, I'm going to hold off just a little bit more and see if there is a price point that you would be comfortable with purchasing? Um, I would say this is a good opportunity to purchase. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I would say definitely, um, you know, this is not financial advice. Disclaimer, disclaimer. Yes. Huge um, disclaimer. <laughs> I mean, I'm asking for your opinion, Sean. I'm not asking yeah. for advice. I'm just asking as a Bitcoin enthusiast who's been in it for a while and has seen market fluctuations, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. I would but, say this is a good time to buy. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think it is going much higher, you know, mm -hmm. I think, um, just, you know, my estimations of the fundamentals, um, certainly a target price of 500,000 mm -hmm. per Bitcoin is not a bad target price. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in the very long run, it could go even a lot higher than that, but, um, you know, looking you know, bitcoin used to be 67,000 now it's around 30 today mm -hmm. um i think that's a good price and yeah it is good to get in low mm -hmm. like we've talked about it's good to get in when market sentiment is at the bottom um and and but it's also hard to time these things right i've never been super intense in terms of trying to exactly time the market now would be a great time, but I would, in general, I would say um, I'm not one who like waits around with cash in my hand mm. thinking, you know, waiting for the market to go down because I mean, it could take years for markets to go down, you know, mm -hmm. so they happen to be down right now. Um, not everyone is going to be listening to this when Bitcoin is at $30,000. So, um, and mm -hmm. also keep in mind, anyone who ever buys into Bitcoin needs to really keep in mind that it could go a lot lower. It mm -hmm. is a very volatile market. So mm -hmm. Bitcoin could dip down to 15,000, 10,000. I mean, it really, you gotta, what I would say about Bitcoin is take some time and learn what it is and what the thesis is mm -hmm. and why would you hold on to it if it went down mm -hmm. to 10,000? Because if you won't, then you maybe should not buy it or you should look at the size of your position, right? Mm. If you say, well, if I put 1% of my portfolio in and it went down to 10,000, that wouldn't bother me. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, then maybe that should be your position size, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's so, how I look at it. So there's there's a lot of, uh, from what I'm getting from you, there's a lot of fail stops or fail safes that you in place on your own investment style into the Bitcoin realm, right? You have these um, safe settings where it gives you the confidence enough to really go at this without worrying about the price cratering or going up too much or et cetera. Yeah. Okay. So do you ever get super emotional when you see these because you have these fail safes or is it like, oh, wow, it's going up today. That's cool. I need to rebalance my portfolio. Or is it, uh, oh, it's going up. I'm just going to keep it like that. Um, so usually I'm, I'm pretty good with, with not being too emotional. Good. good. Um, um, I mean, you know, I think it's impossible to completely tamp down your emotions. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the other the other night, I think it was two nights ago when Bitcoin was just in free fall, really, mm-hmm. because of this whole, uh, you know, it was during the whole Luna UST thing. Um, it was just going down so fast. And I was, you know, I wasn't going to sell, but I was also like really curious, like, is this, you know, what's going on? Like, this mm-hmm. is crazy. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, when it was, it was still in free fall when I went to sleep. And I think it was about at the bottom. I think it was like 27,000. Mm. And, um, you know, it, there was no sign that it was going to go back up. And I was like, well, I'm tired. I'm going to go to sleep. And I slept soundly, <laughs> you know. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to touch it for years, mm. you know. So it's like. Well, you know, it's having a, it's having one of its days, you know, it is, it is a volatile asset and I've seen the down days before and you just get used to it. Now, the thing is for like, for a value investor, um, if you bought a company and then the company is in free fall, it's not like you should necessarily just be holding on for dear life and, and write it to zero, right? You, the idea would be, you would want to understand the fundamentals and understand what's happening right now to cause this thing to be plummeting um with bitcoin it's hard to really do that i mean bitcoin is it doesn't have the same types of characteristics you know it's Mm -hmm. it's there's not like a a board of directors and and a ceo and stuff it's just Mm -hmm. these it's just a thing you know yes Yeah, I, I totally agree because even when stock prices are in free fall, uh, I would actually have to relook into my portfolio, relook into the stocks that I've invested in to really understand why it's, it's going down. Uh, and usually I, I generally hope to sell a lot of my positions, if any, that I, uh, that I see that's extremely overpriced. Like it's beyond like, why is this selling at this price point? Uh, and there were a couple of those, especially with the meme stock. You know, I did invest in AMC, and I think I mentioned that a while back. I did invest in AMC, and it going up to about sixty something dollars a share. That was that was a crazy valuation. Now, did I sell at that point? No, uh, just because I bought it within a, a year's time frame. So taxes was a, a big component on my mind, and so 
but usually I would hope to sell uh, when I find the prices are too outrageous. Uh, but if they're in free fall, uh, I would like to relook into my portfolio just to see what happened. Why is the market scared? And if it doesn't make any sense on why the prices are going down, then I would actually, you know, in my personal experience, I would actually go in and purchase more um, just because my thesis I felt was strong enough uh, to counteract this price bound, uh, uh, price shock kind of thing. So again, not investment advice. It's just what I do. So, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So anyways, uh, thank you, Sean, uh, for sharing so much on your Bitcoin uh, experience uh, and really sharing with me what's going on with the Luna and the TerraCoin and the UST coins, because these are stuff that I am just, I have no clue on. Um, And maybe one of these days we can do an episode on just the technology of blockchain itself. If, if you know uh, more about that, I, I would love to mm-hmm. know your input on that and how that applies to like non-fungible tokens and all of that and, and the potential that the future might have in these applications of these technologies that are emerging. At least those are, those are my thoughts on the, on the subject right now. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Yep. So I think this is a good spot to end. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So thank you everyone so much for listening. I'm hoping that you guys got a lot out of uh, Sean's experience and knowledge on this stuff. I know I didn't add too much on the value investing side, but these are the questions I have as a value investor for Sean. So hopefully that kind of helps. But anyways, uh, what was our outro again, Sean? Don't trade uh, a penny for a dollar. I think that was. Don't buy a dollar for a penny. penny. Don't buy a penny for a dollar i think ah, yes don't right. buy a penny for a dollar <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> i know we screwed up i screwed up that that phrase a while back so yeah don't 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 trade. <laughs> don't buy a penny for a dollar <laughs> anyways have fun everyone uh have a good morning have a good evening wherever you guys are from and take care sean yep you too see ya.